Well, good morning, folks. I am uh, excited to be able to come and share God's Word with you this morning. And um, I bring greetings to you from Stuart. He is uh, off away, as, as Craig said earlier, on his sabbatical. And I just want to ask you to continue to pray for him and Becky as they uh, find this time of rest and uh, that God would encourage their hearts um, as, they, as they grow themselves in the midst of that. Now, it's an incredible season of life, and I need to apologize to her seniors because apparently I can't count. Right? The people in the third row, I like counted them off in the chapel earlier and was like, I need five, five, and then I didn't count right. So they were like crammed in that last row right there. And, and just like any good high school senior does, they just fixed it. Okay? So they just fixed it on their own. And so I'm so excited that they did because I felt horrible when I came in there and was like, oh no, I just did not count right. But you guys look fantastic. Okay, And one of the cool things about graduation is the regalia, the cap, the gowns, the cords, the, the stoles, all the stuff that you have, the pomp, the circumstance that you're going to hear or have heard like a million times in a row. I was in the band in high school. It's like the worst thing ever to have to play pomp and circumstance for 15 or 20 minutes. Horrible. But it's awesome for all those seniors, right? So now this is a milestone, guys. It's a marker for your lives. Now, when you're in kindergarten, you had a little graduation service, you know, or ceremony at school. Then you got to the first day of middle school, and you had the first day of high school. Your mom probably took a picture all of those days. First day of kindergarten, getting on the bus with your little lunch pail. It's awesome. Okay? But it's funny because you get to this part in graduation and marker, and it's, it's more a marker of the end of something than it is like the, all the other beginnings that you've had in school. Does that make sense? Graduation is an amazing time. But graduation, and all of us who have been there and walked through that before already, graduation is, is somewhat like kind of the death of your childhood. I just got this like horrible, like, what are you saying? Look from all these kids up here. What are you saying? The death of my childhood? Yes, the death of your childhood. And it's the embarkation for the journey into adulthood. Now, adulthood is scary sometimes, and this can be a really scary time. It's an unknown future. You don't know what's going to happen. It's the wondering of what comes next. It's the responsibility that you start to feel for your own life. The financial strain that you're going to experience with college loans. It's going to be awesome. (laughs) Got a whole mortgage full of those. All right. The countless questions that you're going to have of what do I do next. And you guys may just be squirming just a little bit. I'm hoping that you are just a little bit uncomfortable because you should be. This is a scary time, right? That's the reality. But what you may not realize is that as I read off those things, there are other people in this room who graduated a long time ago and they're squirming too. Because adulthood is full of unknown times and unknown futures. It's full of wondering what comes next sometimes. The responsibility that you feel for your own life and also for the lives of other people that you care and you love. The financial strain of making it. The countless questions of what do I do next. Adults in the room, you know what I'm talking about. Just because you graduate high school, these questions don't disappear. And this morning, the message that I feel like God's laid on my heart is for you guys. 
the seniors and graduating up here, but it's also for all of the rest of us because we all live in this moment of wondering. Now, the amount of pressure that you students will feel as you move through the next few years of your life, it's going to be immense. And I heard, um, I heard probably one of the wisest statements that I've ever heard just a couple days ago at a graduation over in Fayette County. One of the, uh, I think it was a salutatorian, she got up and she said, you know, it's incredible to think right now that the world is requiring me to make massive decisions about the course of my life. The next 60 years, I have to decide sometime in the next year what my next 60 years are going to look like. The financial strain of that, the politics that I'm going to have to be a part of, the legal matters that I'm going to have to decide. And all of that, and just two weeks ago, I had to ask to go to the bathroom. (laughs) That's crazy, right? That's crazy. That's an immense amount of stress. We put a lot of pressure on our students, and we put a lot of pressure on ourselves. And a lot of times, some of that is good, and some of that is hard, and some of it can be really destructive. You know, the legal definition of what an adult is, is somebody who has reached the age of majority. So no longer are you a minor, you're a major. Okay, you're, you're a majority person. That means, in our, in our society, that means you've turned 18 years old, but I can guarantee you almost every adult in this room will tell you that turning 18, year old, 18 years old doesn't really make you an adult. Okay? And all your parents are like, yeah, they keep telling me this all the time, but I don't believe them. But it is true. Because the other definition of adult is that it's a person who is fully grown or developed. Now, my wife, who's sitting down here on the front row, I asked her if I could pick on her just a little bit, so I'll probably have to buy her a nicer lunch today. But she is almost five foot one inch tall. And she stopped growing in the seventh grade. Seventh grade, she was fully grown. But that did not make her an adult. Okay? So being fully grown is one thing, but this word developed, fully grown or fully developed, that's a tricky word because it has tons of depth to it. Now, psychologists have said that in order for adolescence to end and adulthood to begin, we have to be able to answer confidently three questions. One, who am I and or who am I supposed to be? Number two, do my decisions and choices matter? And number three, Where do I fit in the world? And this is that moment where either every adult in this room either shuddered a little bit because they're not sure of these answers even still, or they remembered back to a moment where they had to answer these questions for themselves. And those are the moments where we became adults. But sometimes we still lose track of that. Sometimes we begin to think that our choices and our decisions don't really matter And we definitely don't always know where each of us fits in the world. One of the things I love about Scripture is that no matter what situation we're talking about, no matter what area or or question we may have, the Scripture has something to say about it. Earlier when we were in the chapel, I said, read that Bible because it is life. It will speak to you in the moments that you have because Scripture is alive. And Scripture talks to us in the moments that we have. And when I was considering this message and considering what God had on my heart for it, I felt led towards a, a character in, in the Scriptures that I've, I've t- 
turned to many times in my life. And some of you guys who have been around in youth group, you've heard me talk about this guy before. But it's a young man by the name of Josiah. And his story is found in 2 Kings chapter 22. Now, his story is pretty amazing because Josiah was made king of Judah when he was eight years old. Now, some of these little kids that were up here just a minute ago, probably in that range, five, six, seven, eight years old maybe, can you imagine one of them taking on the presidency of the United States of America? That's what we're talking about. All you adults in the room, you think you've got problems, right? Think about being an eight-year-old child and becoming king. Now, on top of that, the people that Josiah followed were not good people. His father, Ammon, was a horrible person. His grandfather, Manasseh, was even worse. Manasseh was said to have shed enough innocent blood that he could have filled Jerusalem from one gate to the other. And his son, Ammon, Josiah's father, was pretty much just like his father. And he was so horrible that his own servants conspired against him and killed him in his own home. And then they set up an eight-year-old as king. Now, Josiah, obviously he's probably got advisors and people running stuff for him, but in the 18th year of Josiah's reign, that would make him 26 years old. I know that sounds like it's immensely older than you guys up here. It's not really, okay? For some of you guys, 26 was a long time ago. It's okay. It's a long time ago for me too. But when he was 26 years old, something pretty amazing happened. They had gathered lots of tax money from the different people in, the, in, the, in Judah, and they had taken all that money, and Josiah told Hilkiah, who was the high priest of the temple, to go into the temple to clean it out, to restore it, to build it back, and to basically fix it up. Okay? And so this big project was undertaken by, by Hilkiah, and while he's doing this, he cleans out the temple, and he finds the book of the law. Okay, I want you to think about this for a second. He found the book of the law. The high priest of the people of Judah, who was supposedly supposed to be teaching from the book of the law, found the book of the law. Okay? This would be like Stuart showing up on a Sunday morning and be like, hey guys, check it out. I found the Bible. It's awesome. You should check it out. You know? I mean, and he finds this book that is supposed to be the guide for what they're doing. If at the whole point in their whole being, his whole existence, he finds this book and he reads it probably for the first time. And he is amazed at what he finds and he's amazed at how far the people have gone. And so he takes that book to the king. And this is where we pick up the story. Second Kings chapter 22, verses 10 through 13. Listen to to what happens in here. Then Shephan, the secretary, told the king, Hilkiah, the priest, has given me a book. And Shephan read read the book before the king. And when the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. And the king commanded Hilkiah, the priest, and Alakam, the son of Shephan, and Akbor, the son of Micaiah, and Shephan, the secretary, and Isaiah, the king's servant, saying, Go, inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all Judah, Concerning the words of this book that have been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. 
You see, when Josiah heard the words in this book, it was like something had died. And we know that because culturally speaking in this time, to, to tear your robes, to take your outer garment and rip them would mean that you were in a time of mourning, in a time where something had died. And in that moment, he had realized the great divide between their behavior as a people and the direction that God had required of them. And so we pick up the story again. This is in the next chapter, 2 Kings chapter 23, verses 1 through 3. And this is, this is Josiah's response in the midst of all of this. And he says, Then the king called together all of the elders of Judah and Jerusalem, and he went up to the temple of the Lord and with the people of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the prophets, all the people from the least to the greatest. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which had been found in the temple of the Lord. The king stood by the pillar and renewed the covenant in the presence of the Lord and to follow the Lord and to keep his commands, statutes and decrees with all of his heart and all of his soul. And thus confirming the words of the covenant written in this book, and then all the people pledged themselves to the covenant as well. You see, in those moments, this boy king, this eight-year-old, now 26-year-old boy king, becomes an adult. He answers the questions, who am I? He says, he was the king. He was responsible for all of his people, from the least of them to the greatest of them. He brought them all so that they could hear him read the words to them. He didn't have Hilkiah read them. He stood before the people and he read them. The second question is, do my decisions matter? Do my choices matter? And to this, he resoundingly said, yes, they matter. And because as he went, so would the people of Judah go. Now, Josiah, in the midst of this, he would, and I encourage you to go and read this in chapter 23 of 2 Kings, because he would go and on to one of the greatest reforms that's been seen in this time period. He would tear down all of the temples that were erected by his, his father and his grandfather, all the pagan places. He would execute all of the, the priests that ran those temples and anybody who stood between God and the people. He cleaned house. He changed the nation and their direction. Because when he answered question number three, where do I fit in this world? He fit as a messenger of God's word to the people in the land that they lived in. He became the example for all of them. And he heard and he responded and he changed. Josiah, he grew up in a moment. He grew up. He went from being a child to being an adult. He answered the questions. Growing up is hard. Yeah? Yeah? <laughs> Growing up is hard. It's hard. We all struggle with it. Ammon and Manasseh, Josiah's grandfather and father, they just wanted to do what they wanted to do. The pagan religions that they let take hold in their land were self-indulgent. They were based on pleasure. They were based on gluttony. 
they were self-absorbed and they were self-focused. And if we really think about it, that's really what growing up is all about. Josiah realized that when he heard the words of God, probably for the first time, that it wasn't about him and his desires. It's about something greater. Any father or mother, and I know there's a lot of mom and dads of these folks right here, but there's a lot of mom and dads in here. When he held that child for the first time, I had a friend who held his son for the first time and said, I've known him for 15 seconds and I would die for him. When you hold that child for the first time, the world isn't about you anymore. It's about protecting that little baby. But take a little second and think about that little baby for just a moment. It cries when it's hungry. It cries when it needs to be changed. As it grows a little bit, it cries when it can't reach something or when it doesn't want to go to sleep. Inevitably, one of their first words will definitely be, Mine! Mine! You know, you get a little kid who grabs something and goes, Mine! Folks, from the very earliest stages, we can see what it's like to be really human. We are self-focused people at our basic nature. But as we grow up, the hope is that we become less focused on ourselves. We become more focused on people around us. But growing up is hard because we have to realize at some point that it's not about us. And again, Scripture gives us the beautiful example of that. Because in Philippians chapter 2, Paul begins to speak to us about what our attitudes should be. And the word attitude is our disposition. It's our balance in life. How does it set up? And one of the things I love is that the aviation community has picked up this word attitude to to talk about whether you're turning left or right. And you see the attitude control in a plane, and it's just a line that holds out like this. And it either tips back or forth. The idea is to keep equilibrium, to keep steady. And Philippians 2 says that our attitude, our equilibrium, our balance should be the same as Jesus Christ. In chapter 2 it says this, Jesus Christ who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Everything he was, his divinity, his power, his priority in the universe, he set it aside to be a servant. The infinite God the infinite God became a finite baby and he humbled himself and he became a servant. Jesus answered the questions. He said, who am I? Do my decisions matter? Where do I fit? And to answer all of those questions, he said, I will serve, I will love, and I will give myself for my creation." Okay, so as I was thinking about all of these things together, God led my heart back to a moment when I was just a little bit older than you guys up here, all right? How many of y'all are, any of y'all 19? No, good. That means I was just a little bit older than you, because that was when I was. I was 19. And I was on a youth retreat, 
But I was a youth counselor, and I was supposed to be a leader on this retreat. Now, I say supposed to be because I don't look back on it very much thinking of myself that way. Because one of my students, who was kind of a protege person, um, I had taught him some keyboard stuff in our youth band, and I had kind of groomed him and developed him, and, and he had taken over that position as I started to play a different instrument. And, and he was getting all kinds of attention and lots of kudos and lots of, lots of positive stuff. And, and I'm just going to be straight up, he was good. Okay. He was a good piano player. He actually ended up touring with one of the, the nation's largest, at the time, largest worship teams and, and traveled all over the nation and stuff like that. But let me be straight up with you guys. In these moments, I was stinking jealous. Okay? Just the fact of the matter. I was jealous of a 16-year-old kid. I was 19 years old, jealous of a 16-year-old kid. I had been doing that job for years. I had been working on that team for years, and I had never received the attention like that. Now, the speaker for this retreat is a guy named Dennis Lachney. He's still a friend of mine. I still love him to death. But he asked me one day how I was doing one afternoon, and I tried to play it off, you know, like, oh, I'm good. It's all good. I'm, I'm just, you know, whatever. But he, he read me like a book, and he challenged me, and he's like, seriously, are you, are you okay? And... I just, I broke down and I told him what was going on and how I was feeling. And he told me this. He said, I want you to imagine something. And I want to ask you guys to imagine the same thing now. That on a river, there are two types of boats. One of them's a ski boat. It's fast. It has burst of power. It's getting all types of attention. It's got people on rafts behind it, people on skis behind it. It's, it's running up and down the river. Everybody's paying attention to it. Everybody loves it. Everybody's having fun. It's beautiful. And he said, then down the river just a little ways is a large barge. And behind that barge is a tugboat. And he said, this tugboat is not glorious. It's not pretty. Nobody's mortgaging their house to try to buy a tugboat. Nobody's going down, you know, saying, hey, check out my tugboat. You know, it doesn't doesn't work that way. But he said, listen, that tugboat can push and pull enormous loads. It can help carry cargo into a port. And without a tugboat, even large ships can't even navigate their way into smaller waters. And he looked at me. And he said, Brent, you're like that tugboat. Maybe you're not getting a lot of attention, but you're carrying a huge weight, and you're working hard. It may not seem like one of these statements that somebody would say to you, and it would be a life-defining moment. But for me, it was. Because I looked at that moment, and I understood, and I can picture myself in that room right now still. And it was the day that I made a choice about who I was, and who I was going to be, and what my life would matter for, and where I would fit in the world. I could have sought fame, I could have sought fortune, I could have been after the attention in my life, or I could serve, I could pull, I could push, and I could carry what God had in store for me. Josiah, he was met with a challenge. 
Would he continue in the self-seeking ways of his father and his grandfather? Or would he push and pull and carry what God had in store for him? And he chose to serve his people. Jesus, the infinite Son of God, would he continue in his power and in his priority, or would he become nothing to push and to pull and to carry every one of us into salvation? And he chose to serve his own creation. If you looked in your bulletin earlier today, I I gave this message the title of Untitled. In all honesty, I hate putting titles on messages, so that's one reason. Secondly, is in our lives today, we seek so many titles. We seek to be important. We seek success. But what would be the result if we didn't seek any type of title in our lives anymore? Today, we sit here together in this room as the people of God. And with it, across the street in the Presbyterian church and down the, down the road here in the Baptist churches and all the other churches in Noonan and all the other places around our city, there are people gathered right here in this hour as the people of God. What if we were to stop seeking our own interests Will we continue to seek our own agendas, our own desires? Will we allow opinions and our rights to separate us? Or will we, like Jesus did with his disciples, and Josiah did when he heard the words, will we remove our outer garments? Will we tear our clothes in mourning? for what we have become? Will we take up a basin and a towel and wash the feet of this world that so desperately needs to know that God loves them and that God has something better for them, that he has purpose for them? Will we give up seeking our own advancement, but instead the advancement of the kingdom of God? Will we choose to put our hands to the ropes, to push and to pull and to carry what God has in store for us. Folks, it's time to grow up. Every one of us in the room. Guys, you you all are in a moment where everybody's telling you it's time to be an adult, it's time to grow up. Honestly, most of the time, I'm telling you, try to desperately hold on to as much kid as you can, okay? But we all, every one of us, it's time to grow up. It's time to answer the questions, who are we? We are God's people set apart for his purpose. Do our decisions and our choices matter Yes, they matter. If not us, then whose decisions matter? Because we have been entrusted with the words of life through the Holy Spirit working in each and every one of us. And where do we fit? 
You heard Craig talk about it just a minute ago. We are the salt of the earth. We are the preservation presence on this planet. We are the ones that flavor the world and preserve it from decay. We are the light of the world. We are the ones who speak truth into darkness, and the darkness runs. This is what God has called us to. Graduates, if you will make the choice today to follow God into what he has in store for you, I can promise you that you will not be disappointed. If you don't follow God, I can't promise you that. I'm not going to tell you it's easy because pushing and pulling and carrying doesn't sound easy, right? But I can guarantee you that if you follow the heart of God for your, for your life, you will feel fulfilled, you will feel content, you will experience joy that comes straight from the heart of God. And folks, 99% of us in this room are not graduating this week. And this message is not just for our graduates. Because if you and I will put our trust in God, if we will lay ourselves and put our hands on the rope and lay down our lives and grab onto that and push and pull and carry for what God has called us to do, we will also experience the fulfillment and the contentment and the joy that comes straight from the heart of God. So I have a question for all of us. Will we make that choice? I pray that we will be servants, that we will be the servants that God desires us to be. That we will be willing to call and stand for what he has set forth for us. Would you pray with me? Father, today we thank you that you are good, that your love endures forever. Because, Lord, there are so many times that we mess things up. There are so many times that we don't know where we fit in the world. There are so many times that we don't know what it means to make the decisions for you or who we even are. But, God, you are everlastingly the same. You never change. You never wander. You never become something else. You are reliable to the bitter end. We can always find you and find the truth of that attitude of someone who would set aside his own priority, would set aside his own position to fiercely love the creation that you made. God, I'm in awe of who you are. I pray, God, for our students that they would, in these moments when the world tells them to grow up, that they would choose to grow up in your path. And for the rest of us, God, in this room who have walked down an aisle and gotten a diploma or have gotten certificates or been through training and all these different things, these titles that we've gained, God, that that we would set on the side just like you did. And serve this world so they would know the passionate love that you have for it.
God, help us. Help us to be focused on you. Help us to put our hands to the rope, to push and to pull and to carry what you've called us to. Lord, we love you and we thank you. And it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.